Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, I hope you had a happy Labor Day, everybody. While you were stuffing your faces, you might have missed our interview with Byron Lefwich. That's on the podcast. Make sure you go check that out. Lots of good reaction off that interview. So you learned a lot about about kind of the dynamic and, you know, you know how he you forget that he was a former quarterback. And, you know, one of the things you learn when you play sports is that, you know, is how to deal with failure, how to not be scared of failing, you know, when you play sports and, you know, some of the, the, the pressure that people talked about that Byron Leftwich was under as an offensive coordinator with Tom Brady coming to town, you know, he kind of talked about, look, I'm not afraid to fail. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got Tom Brady coming. I'm excited. I'm not nervous. I'm not scared. I'm not, you know, just that, that part of it. Sometimes as an outsider, you kind of forget the way the mindset is of that. I mean, that's what, you know, as a quarterback, you know, at the end of the season, one quarterback gets to raise the trophy, whether it's college or pro or whatever. The others all lose and fail, and, and you learn to deal with that and, 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 and embrace the fact that you may fail when you, go, when you play sports. Um, you know, in baseball, what, you're out at least seven out of ten times. Hell, eight out of ten times now when you go to the plate. Um, you know, that, that failure is a part of sports in that. And, you know, sometimes when we sit there and think that, you know, oh, this guy's nervous for this or that, it, it, that's not the way they view it. It's, it's, it's a whole different mindset than what sometimes we think of on the outside. Yeah, and I think the fact that he was an NFL quarterback and, and has seen the game from the, the very spot that Brady was playing, I think the pressure is to play quarterback in the NFL. I don't think it's to stand on the sidelines in Byron's mind. You know, if you've not done that, like Byron said, he goes, like, I played the game, right? I, I've been there. So I – he goes, for me, you know, coaching is is something I love, I, you know, and, and he works hard at it. He spends a lot of time at it, but it's not something he's, he uh, uh, that, that he feels pressure over. He actually, he doesn't have to do, I guess, you know, he's made his money. He doesn't have to do it. You know, some guys are in the game for a lot of reasons, right? It's a job. They want to make money. They, 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 you know, they have a family to support all that. Byron played, and he played a long time, and 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 he was playing golf and was fine playing golf. And BA sort of knew he would be a good coach and talked him into doing it in the first place. And he went down to Arizona once, and right away BA was right. He kind of got the bug to do it, and you know, and now here he is a few years later, and he's the offensive coordinator. But he knew all about Tom Brady. He competed against Tom Brady. He had some epic games mm-hmm. uh, in the AFC playoffs um, with Brady, and so. He knew what he was all about, you know, and and he he knew what kind of competitor he was getting, and he really I think was just sort of excited about learning what Brady knew, you know, and and trying to bring something to Tom that maybe he didn't know, particularly about this offense, you know, maybe we can maybe we can add some things to his toolbox, and you know, so it it, it wound up being a, a pretty good relationship. But first of all, Byron's a sweetheart of a guy. I mean, if you don't like Byron Leftwich, you don't like people. I mean, he's just, 
he's he's one of the he's one of the genuine people like he never changes you know he's always the same um you know uh intense but uh you know somebody that loves life loves people easy to communicate with and that's why he's successful in the coaching world um you know he's made he's made for this he's a good communicator when you see him on the podium again a lot of these guys i think that's what's good about this interview if you listen to it if you haven't yet um you know, you, you see the, the, the podium Byron, which is I'm just trying to put guys in position to make good plays. Well, that's true of everybody in coaching. But when you get him off to the side and he's relaxed and, you know, the fact of the matter is, and I said this, uh, that, you know, you thought Brady was too old. And he said, no, not once I watched the film. He didn't deny it. But the impression was, I mean, you know, Byron's not watching the Patriots play every weekend. And the guy was going. The guy was forty three years old. I mean, what's he? He's older than Byron. You know, he's two years older than Byron. So um, he had to go watch the tape. And when he did, like everybody else, they saw that his arm and everything was the same that it's been for four years. So um, it, yeah, it was just good insights. Uh, and, and it was a struggle, you know, at seven and five, and some of the things they had to uh, sort of collaborate on for it to start working. Um, he still challenges a little bit, you know, just how much it changed, but statistically it did change with the pre-step motions and play action and things like this. Um, so that's undeniable, but you know, they got there and it's going to be exciting to see where they start, um, you know, against Dallas on Thursday because they're so much better than they have been. I'm excited for this season. I mean, you know, and, and you hear the players and you've been at practice this week and, and talking mm-hmm. about just how far different it is this year than last and, and how much mm-hmm. they know each other and, and and what they've been through. And as long as they don't become complacent and as long as Tom Brady's leading the charge yeah. there, I don't think that happens. Is that possible? You know, you know, I mean, they, Byron talked about it in the interview yesterday or that we played yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, after the Super Bowl, they wish we, had, we wish we had three or four more weeks. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we had – I mean, we're rolling now. Now we've got it. Now we, we, mm-hmm. we've got a flow. We've got – you know, Tom has a relationship with his receivers and knows where Mike Evans is going to go and knows where Chris Godwin's going to go and Antonio Brown and all the weapons. And, and they were getting better every week at that point, particularly in practice, they felt it. And he wanted to keep practicing, keep going. Let's not stop. And, and you know, yeah, they, they felt love that, that going into this season. Yeah, they, they and, and he called Clyde, you know, uh, 8.20 in the morning or whatever it was the day after the Super Bowl. Clyde had gone to the party. He did not, so he had like four hours sleep. <laughs> And uh, his grandkids are, are are hopping around, and and uh, not Brady's, but Clyde's, um, and and so Brady you know, might be old it, enough to have grandkids. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, he actually could have them, but not not any that we know of. So he, um, you know, he, that's who he is. He's he's on to the next one. He's he's, you know, when I sat down with Brady, and one we'll play probably part of his interview sometime later this week. But when I sat down with Brady, and I've said this many times, he he just he's he. He loves the cerebral part of the game. Now, he's played 21 years, so he sees it. When, when Byron says the way he sees the game, he does see it different than everybody else, and he really does um, enjoy the cerebral part of the chess match, you know. Um, and Byron has said this, and he says it on the podcast, you know, football is a simple game. And Brady has explained this many times, but, he, you know, He's a counterpuncher in many ways. You know, he he looks at the defense and it's like if you're going to play back and play too high, we're going to run the ball. If you're going to play up, we're going to throw it over your head. If you're going to play inside leverage, 
I'm going to throw it outside. If you're going to play outside leverage, I'm going to throw it inside. And, he, and, you know, that's really what he was trying to do. He's trying to find that soft spot in your defense, and he'll take his shots. He'll attack you. But for the most part, he he sees everything, you know, and it's just whether or not he can get other guys, namely his receivers, um, to see that too. And so they know where the ball is going to go. Um, and if they know where to look for the ball based on the rotation of the secondary or, the, or you know, the guy coming off the edge or the hot, whatever it is, if other guys can see what he sees, then you can't stop him. <laughs> he's un- That's why he's gotten back to this Super Bowl every year uh, or every other year of his career. So well, the other it's thing, just remarkable. The other thing Byron said, and, and you you don't appreciate it enough, and when he said it, it was kind of one of those moments that it kind of clicked that – he said, look, quarterbacks get impatient and bored, and, and mm-hmm. I want to take my shot. Where Brady mm-hmm. has been able to, for 21, now it's coming on 22 years, to be patient. Yeah. And just keep, you know, I'll keep three and out until I, I, I find the right the right target to throw to. I'm not going to force yeah. it. I'm not going to, you know, and he's talked about the interceptions he can't stand. and You know, and that he wants to avoid those mistakes. But he's patient enough where most quarterbacks get antsy. And, right. you know, and Byron Leftwich saying that as a former quarterback, he would know, you mm-hmm. know, you're OK. Yeah, but I want to take a shot. I can beat this guy. I want to, you know, and Brady, he, stick, says, he sticks to the game plan. He's patient enough and, and he's he's willing to wait it out. He said it was boring. He goes, mm-hmm. you get bored. He goes, you know, you, you, you're doing what's supposed to do. And you're like, ah, I want I can I can fit this one in there. You know, you, you kind of want to be more of the reason. Nobody was more impatient than Jameis Winston. We saw five years of impatience. Um, with Jameis, you know, and, and that was part of his problem. Uh, he had to be the guy to make the big play. And, and the, you know, the big plays will come to you, but um, most people that have the ball in their hands want to do something great with it, you know. And, you know, sometimes the best throw you make is out of bounds. You know, mm-hmm. Brady has always been about winning. You know, if you go back and look at his numbers, especially early in his career, um, you know, he didn't. He would win Super Bowl MVPs and barely throw for 200 yards. You know, he wasn't a big stat guy. Never has been. I mean, he has them. He has the 5,000 yard seasons, and you know, he had the year when they were 17 and 0 or whatever with Randy Moss, uh, and he threw all those touchdowns to Randy. I mean, he was always capable with the right personnel and the right sort of offense of doing that. But that that was never what he was known for. What he's known for is just beating you. What he's known for is winning football games. And he will do anything to win. And that's the difference, I think, like Byron was talking about, is that, you know, he sees the bigger picture. You know, he's not going to put his defense in a bad position. Um, You know, he's going to figure it out and overcome a lot of the variables that happen within a game that, you know, you don't game plan for. And you have to find ways around the puzzle. And that's what Brady enjoys the most, I think, is watching film, um, you know, finding that 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 one sort of nuance in the defense that he can exploit, um, and you know, it's it's remarkable after all these years, and that's how he wins. Like people talk about, you know, first of all, his skills haven't diminished. He's in incredible shape. He looks so much younger than he is. I don't know what he does, but it's working. Or TB twelve, whatever it is. And the thing is, is that. If your skills don't appreciate or depreciate like most people's do in football, um, your knowledge is only going to increase. You know, guys stop playing not because they don't know the game; they they know it all too well. It's just their bodies won't allow them to execute anymore. And Brady has found a way 
to have all that information um, locked away and still be able to execute because his arm, as he said, feels like it's 24 years old. And, and it's hard to argue that he doesn't throw the ball as well today as he did 15, 20 years ago. So, you know, it's it's really an interesting interview. You got to when I tell you the whole thing, but go back and listen to it if you hadn't had a chance to. I think you'll really enjoy you enjoy listening to Byron and get a feel for the sort of kind of the person he is. And I've known him for a long time, um, covered him when he was a player here in Tampa Bay, one of the worst years that the Bucks ever had, um, going back to the Raheem Morris first year when Josh Freeman was a rookie and didn't play to like week nine, I think. And Byron was the starter and, and he got <laughs> he got the hell knocked out of him. Because the one thing about Byron was he wasn't very mobile. He always knew where he was and uh he took a beating but uh was uh was a was a good guy doing it. Uh let's let's talk about this crazy Rays game. I I I don't know if I tweeted this out, I thought about it, maybe I did, that this was the most entertaining baseball game of the season that I have watched. And when I say watched, it kind of began with me in the car because I was leaving the Bucks facility and I had a ton of writing to do. And I turned on the radio, and at that point, Steve, I think the home plate umpire I had heard, um, you know, took the foul ball and, and went down. And so there was, I guess, a bit of a delay, uh, and they had gotten through all of one inning in about 45 minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. And so it was like, oh, boy, this is going to be a long day in Boston, which was good because it meant that I would be able to watch some of it. And so my drive home was probably a half hour or so, uh, flipped on the TV, and by that time, um, they were down 7-1, to 7-1. to one. And I'm thinking, did I even turn this on? You know what I mean? Like they had a they had a couple guys on, and then they eventually loaded the bases. And so that's when I turned the game on TV and started watching for real. And then, my goodness, what did not happen in this game? Well, let's see. There was an inside the park home run, mm-hmm. a little league inside the park grand slam. <laughs> yeah, uh, lead. <laughs> uh, you know, you had the lead early, one nothing. You're then right. down seven to one. You end up not taking the lead till extra innings mm-hmm. in the game, but you forced extra innings. Um, right? Yeah, it, you're behind. It was, it was crazy. Behind by one a bunch of times, and then and then Boston would come up and expand it to two mm-hmm. again. Yeah, you know they kept getting within a run, within a run, within a run. The turning point was obviously some pretty some pretty bad center field play, <laughs> to say the least. Well, it knocked, um, it knocked Chris Sale out of the game sooner than he should have been out, which it that did. helped too. Yeah, big time. Chris Sale was pitching really well, and he got he had some bad luck. There were some some balls that were dribbled down the third baseline, and you know, uh, not hard contact to say the least, and some hits that had eyes. Um, but then uh, Nelson Cruz with the bases loaded, they get, they had two out, nobody on. They loaded the bases with two out. They're down seven to one, and Nelson Cruz hits a long fly ball to that you know cavernous right center field spot, you know, up at Fenway where triples go to die and it looks like it's an out i mean it should have been an out should have been i mean it hit verdugo's glove and he was kind of camped under it he loses it in the sun which was weird because he loses it but he's got his glove down around his knee so he really he had no feel for where the ball was but it hits him in the glove bounces off and then um i think the shortstop or somebody that was out there yeah glacius airmails it but yeah you know so many things on there and Mm mm-hmm you and I have been critical of Kevin Kiermaier many times. Oh, yeah. But for the offensive side, because 
how he helps he tries to yank everything. How he helps that team defensively, I mean, is incredible. I mean, Verdugo's out there and he makes you know he screws up later on the Austin Meadows inside the park home run. Um, you know how he lost the ball in the sun, and then Nelson Cruz gets to third, but then that throws air mailed. I mean, right. Nelson Cruz gets an inside the park little league grand slam. I mean, he like he needed oxygen. I mean, he he's forty one years old. God bless him, and and I don't think he's used to running that far ever. Um, but he he made it all the way around. It was it was a, it was a little league grand slam. I mean, the bases are loaded, all four runs score, uh, and that that essentially knocked out. You know, I mean, you lose your starting pitcher on something like that with two outs and nobody on. Next thing you know, and then in a seven you know, one orig- in a seven one lead, and they originally they scored that a triple in an error. I mean, what was the, what was the officials? I mean, they go they go that's been scored a triple. I'm like, there's no way when Chris Sale gets back oh. in that dugout that there's not a call going up to the official score going what? Yeah, I'm not wearing those three runs. Are you kidding me? I mean, it hit him in the glove. When did I lost it in the sun become a good reason for a hit? Um, yeah, that that just he was camped under it. It was a fly ball. It was not. It was not like he banged off the wall and the and the ball came out of his glove. He was yeah. camped under it. No, that that's, that's yeah. there was definitely you know n- no extraordinary effort needed to try to catch that ball. That's routine. Mm. Mm. You know that no. yeah that wasn't scorched. It wasn't anything. Yeah, when they they scored that a triple, I'm like what? <laughs> but the Rays bullpen made it interesting. They've had a couple of days now where, you know, and here's the thing, and I think that Brian Anderson said this, and if it, and if it wasn't Brian Anderson. Uh, it was somebody else, but I think it was Brian. One of the smartest things I've heard uh, in the Rays broadcast, we've talked a lot, Steve, you and I, about how they have two starting pitchers, right? And the other day, um, and, and I mean, these are young guys, right, which was Shane McClanahan and, and Patino. And the other day, Patino was, started out well, but he just wasn't on his game. Oh, yeah, he had the first five batters. He looked great, and then it went after that and he didn't last very long and they had to go get Patino early so the bullpen was taxed from Sunday and the funny thing is they pulled Patino early they're down in that game but they actually took the lead on Sunday yeah and unfortunately the bullpen blew it in one of the rare times they did right and, and the Rays didn't sweep the twins over the weekend but those are the two star. let's just agree that we know they got those two starters and they're trying to get a third okay like mm-hmm. somebody that can start a game and give them five innings cuz you're hoping Drew we, Rasmussen at this point Rasmussen is that guy so so we're so so the game plan in the postseason, well though they will have days off and that's going to help them immensely right because mm-hmm. now you can you can give some pitchers rest and 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 both your bullpen and your starters will be able to come back sooner but having said all that we know going into it the strength of this of this baseball team pitching wise is their bullpen or is going to have to be it has been all year and it'll have to be again the problem with it and Brian Anderson said it is this it only takes one of those guys and you're going to use four or five pitchers a game it only takes one of them to not be on their game mm-hmm. and you lose you lose like don't don't get it twisted one guy goes out there and and you know you've got you're in a one or two run ball game and he gets the first two guys on maybe he walks a couple and gives up a big fly and he and everybody else might be lights out but that one inning can cost you a playoff game and I think there's too many of those you know the more guys you run out there it's going to happen you you cannot all be great it's not 
this is, you know, to some extent it's contagious, and they're trying to put these guys in the best matchup. So it's not like they're going to send a guy out there that doesn't have a favorable matchup because that's the secret of their bullpen. They they mix and match and, and give guys the best chance to be successful. But if one guy goes out there and just isn't quite on his game and they light him up, you're going to lose the game in the playoffs. You just are. Um, you are correct. So, you're correct, and, and I, I can't disagree with that. But there is one advantage when you go in knowing you're going to be all bullpen guys is that you can have a quicker trigger to pull somebody out too. You can. You can. I mean, yes. you're not sitting there going, God, I really need my starter to, to go another inning or two. Let me try to limp through this. Um, right. And, and it, also, kinda... it also helps, you know, granted, it's only in the World Series, but when your pitchers have to bat, having bullpen days gives you chances where your pitchers may never bat. But that's uh, that's the World Series at that point. You got to get there first. But yeah, and I think you know during the regular season we saw a little bit of that on you know uh, in this game. Um, you're managing for 162. They've still got some what 27 games left or something thereabouts somewhere in there, and so they wanted to get some length, you know, um, and, and part of that's part of the reason why they they got down seven runs. I mean, in, in a playoff game. You're not going to leave a guy out there to give up seven runs. No, you know, no, you're correct. You're going to win it all. It's, it's Johnny Holstaff. You'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. So you're going to get it. if a guy's rocky, you're not going to leave him in to load the bases and give up a couple of big, big flies. So I, I think that's that's part of it, right? Like uh, Yarborough didn't have his stuff. He just wasn't any good. And frankly, they started him, and and I, I just don't think he's good at starting. Although his his last outing, I guess he went seven innings, and I, I you think know, they wanted fine. to do a opener for him today, but because they went through their bullpen, they used short. a lot more of it on Sunday mm-hmm. than they had hoped because Patino yes. didn't go deep enough. That right. they decided to start Yarbrough, hoping they could get some hoping. length out of him. Yes, it didn't happen. So it'll be interesting what the Rays do now tonight and Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that the bullpen the last two days has has pitched quite a bit. Yeah, one guy had some trouble, I think, getting there. You know, some some flight situations when you when you play the Durham Shuttle that happens. And um, anyway, uh, what's remarkable about this team? Here we are, this late in the season. Look, they now have an eight and a half game lead as With we do this podcast. Twenty four to play. With twenty four to play, eight and a half game lead. I saw the scoreboard before the game. It was seven and a half. You know, they have that famous scoreboard at Fenway Park, uh, the the one that's done manually. Um, out there in left field, and I mean, you should you know take a picture of that if you're a Rays fan, right? Here you are at Fenway Park, and there are the Tampa Bay Rays in first place by seven and a half. Now eight and a half games over the New York Yankees, and the Red Sox were one game behind the Yankees. It is impressive. Not only what that, these guys have done. You're six and a half games, assuming Houston wins, and as we record this, they're up big late in their their game on Monday. Mm-hmm. You're six and a half games up on Houston for the best record in the American League. Mm. To clinch home field throughout the you know the American throughout League playoffs. the playoffs, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're one game behind the Dodgers for the overall in baseball, and you're tied with the Giants for second. Or I'm yeah. sorry, the Giants have the best record. You're tied with the Dodgers for second. For second, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, there's six and a half games up on everybody else in the American League. Mm-hmm. And then eight and a half in your division, and nine over the Red Sox. I mean, you know. It, we keep looking ahead and saying that last week of the season where the Rays have to go to uh, Houston and then Houston New York, and you may have it'll be over. You might have the American League wrapped up before then. 
you could have yeah if you're if you're up seven game seven and a half games or eight games over yep. the next closest American League East opponent, you could tank all of them. Yeah. You know, that's the position you want to be in, right? Clinch it before those last two series. If the Rays go 500 the rest of the way, they'll finish 99 and 63. It's crazy. And you know they're going to do better than that. It's crazy. They're going to win over 100 games. Over 100 games this franchise is going to win for the first time. And, you know, and and in the manner that they do it, which is, you know, not just a 40-man roster, it's now become a 60-man roster um, with the number of pitchers and everybody that's been up and down. It's just... It's just incredible. And the thing I don't get is that here we are this late in the season. The at-bats that these guys have, um, you know, when you could give away an at-bat here or there is is phenomenal. They had 19 hits the other day. I mean, 19 hits in a major league game is a lot of hits. Um, and they, it was whatever it took. You, I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, it just feels like they're going to win this game. It doesn't feel like even though they would – they trail by one, then then the Red Sox would hit a home run up by two, and they trail by one and up by two. There's just there was no point where you really felt like, nah, I think the Rays are going to get this, and they they just kept coming up with big hits after big hits, and you know the breaks went their way, and you saw how important their defense is, and their defense was pretty darn good for the most part as it usually is. So congratulations to them. That was an entertaining baseball game. I don't know if anybody had five hours in the middle of the day to watch it. It was Labor Day, so hopefully you guys did. We haven't um, even talked about Wander Franco. Oh God, yeah. Let's 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 mention that kid. Thirty-four uh, hits now, straight games that he's gotten on base. That ties mm-hmm. an American League record with Mickey Mantle <laughs> Mickey for Mantle. anyone Come age on. twenty and younger. And he's that second behind Frank Robinson, who's got the record with 43. <laughs> oh, yeah, those guys are in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes. Um, to see your name in your first, what has he played, 65 games even? I don't even know if he's played that many. Yeah, I'm but, not sure but it's to, that many. But to see your name uh, alongside those gentlemen that have been, oh, by the way, they've been standing on that list for a long time. The last guy to join them on the list, was Ken Griffey Jr. and he hadn't played for a while. Okay, so you're chasing Mickey Mantle and Frank Robinson at this point. I've always said this, Steve, and I don't care what line of work you're talking about. And you've probably seen it in, in broadcasting, radio, um, what I've certainly seen it in my business, music all the time. It's very common. If you're special, like I, I don't mean like just oh he's really talented, he's really good. No. I'm talking like Michael Jackson's special, right? Like if you're special in that manner, it shows up really early. It shows up years before it does for anybody else. Like you just see it. The kid, he's allegedly 20 years old. <laughs> and, I mean, for him to be doing this, I don't know that there's a, a guy, I, I'm certain on this on this Rays roster, I don't think there's a guy at the plate who's more comfortable, not just because he's in a groove, but he doesn't chase pitches. Hell, he doesn't strike out. He had a 42 plate appearances in a row without a strikeout. That That's ended insane. The That's insane As the way the game old. is today. And he's in, he just played his 59th game on Monday. And the whole game is set up for you to strike out. I mean, in other words, guys are going out there, maximum effort, upper 90s fastballs, only going to throw an inning or two. You know what I mean? Like it's And you face a different pitcher every at-bat. It's set up for you to strike out. And strikeouts are, are, are not frowned upon anymore, by the way. And this, this guy has gone that many at-bats. He just 
He's never overmatched. You never feel like, well, you know, boy, that guy throws really hard. I don't know. No. Uh, you know, it, he can hit every pitch. Uh, he went through that one streak, 0 for 18, and since mm-hmm. then, his average has climbed up to almost 300. He's almost at 300 after starting out as badly, as poorly as he did. Yeah, he's 290 with a 349 on base percentage. I mean, I think Randy Orozarena is going to win Rookie of the Year because he played a full season. He's going to end up with, you know, 25 home runs or something like that. And, and you know, it just been tremendous. And, of course, everybody knew who he was from the postseason. But Wander Franco in any other universe probably would have done it in just 70 games or whatever he's going to wind up playing. You know, he's that good. He's Could he be – my son asked me this question. I'll ask it to you. Could he end up, at the end of the day – end up being the greatest Ray ever. And what I mean by that is exceed what I think it would be Evan Longoria. Evan Longoria oh. is the standard bearer for the guy, you know, in this franchise. He's the face, right, of, of I think, of the Rays baseball. If you had a the Mount Rushmore, yes. right? Yes, Uh He would be that guy. Could a Rosarena. A Rosarena or Franco? Which one? Or Franco. I'm sorry, not Franco. Not Rosarena. Could Franco. Could Wander Franco, based on just what we've seen in the first – how many games he's played? Half a season. Could he wind up being, ex- you know, exceeding what Evan Longoria has been to this franchise? Could he be that name? No question about it. No question. Yep, I he is, totally agree. He is by far the most talented Tampa Bay Ray we've ever seen. I now, totally agree. Injuries and you know lots of things can yeah. factor into. Oh sure, it. and, and sure, you know, sure. Obviously, how long he st- is here, you know, what they do that wise, but but just a- what you've seen now. Right, I, I've. Uh, I wish I could remember because it was it was told to me, so I didn't hear this firsthand. But it was a a scout. This was three or four years ago. A scout had mm-hmm. mentioned to someone I know that I trust, and it's a well known mm-hmm. scout. And I can't remember which one it was. So I don't want to say the name because I don't want to get it wrong. But the comment about Wander Franco, and this was three or four years ago, so he's sixteen, seventeen years old at this point. Mm-hmm. The scout said, "Best." Hand to ball skills I've ever seen. Mm. As a sixteen or seventeen year old, they're saying this about Wander. That his his hand eye coordination and the hand to ball skills and how quick he gets there and it's he incredible. Barrels it up, yeah, yeah. He barrels it up. It, it's not an easy thing to do. And I, you know, I've seen guys do it. It's hard to do. I played with a guy in college that's in the Hall of Fame at our school. Um, that's my only reference, but. Those guys who have quick hands and short swings, Steve, that keep the bat over the strike zone a long time, it's amazing how they can just flick the flick the barrel at at at, at the ball. It, it's just it, it is it, he he hits a lot of baseballs hard, and he's and, doing it from both can, sides of the plate too. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he's a switch hitter for God's sakes. The guy I'm talking about at college was a switch hitter, still the best hitter I've ever seen. Um, same thing. Like his swing looks identical. If you put him in a mirror. And turn him around. His 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 stance, the way he swings the bat, everything he approaches looks identical from the left or right side, which is really hard to do. You know, um, you usually don't see him mirror themselves up that well. But he is he is absolutely locked in and comfortable, and yeah, greatness just shows up so so early. It's everything people projected, everything they said. Um, it just took him a little while to you know to get used to the. So it took Probably him 20 did. games. I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, right. What like, rookie doesn't take a little bit of time? 0 for 18. That's going to be his. That's going to be on his, like, yeah, remember that time you went 0 for 18? 
your rookie season, you know, the first 25 at-bats. Yeah, that's going to be his black mark of his career right there. But he's getting better defensively too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to come. That will be the next part that comes is that you won't have that lapse, that occasional error or bad throw and that sort of thing. I think he's going to wind up being a third baseman myself. Um, I, I think ultimately, know, yeah, either third or second, because I think Taylor yeah. Walls will take the shortstop position. Yeah. Um, although you know Taylor has played some second hit. now and stuff, yeah. so you know, mm. um, yeah, I think that it'll. And then you got Vidal Brujan still to come up. Right. Right. Um, you know, as you look at your infield of the future for the mm-hmm. race, but yeah, um, he could be third, could be second or short. Um, you know, it kind of depends on wherever they feel it's going to best lay out. Yeah. But Just a it's been fun man. watch. It's fun watching him. It's fun. It's fun watching this team. I mean, I know that you know Tony Kornheiser doesn't think there's anything entertaining no, or charismatic no. about the team, but Tony Kornheiser, for whatever reason, going back as far as when they were doing Final Fours here in Super Bowls, used to rip this. I don't know what happened in in the Tampa Bay area to Tony Kornheiser. Like <clears throat> somebody got a hold of his cornflakes because I'm telling you, from from time immortal, and he's about seventy, I think, but. And God bless him, he created a show that's still making tons of money today, him and Wilbon. But he has he has hated this area like forever. Like I'm talking twenty, thirty years he's had something to say about it. Um but yeah, I mean you know, consider the source, I suppose. I don't really care what he thinks. I, I just know that this baseball team is Terrific! You they're, can't. They're never out of a game. You never feel no. like they're out of a game. I mean, mm-hmm. even the game that Boston was up on them twenty to one, they scored seven runs in the ninth inning, made it twenty yeah. to eight. I mean, yeah, they well, were going to come back, but they still got seven. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like they don't give away at bats. I mean, most guys just go, "Hey, it's late. We've been here all night. Let's go home." You know, um, swing at the first pitch and let's go. But they don't do that. Every one of those guys gets up there and grinds at bats, and they all. You know, the other thing is I think the lineup is so deep that, you know, and we've talked about this in the past on this podcast, like they don't – there's no one guy. You know, it's not like it's not like Brendan Lau goes up there and says, I've got to deliver the hit right now. You know, I've got to hit this ball and try to get us a two-run homer here to get us back in a game. No, he'll take his walk. You know, he'll take his walk. They'll pass it to the next guy because they're that deep. You don't feel the pressure to go up there and have to be the guy that carries them. And um, one through nine, I think they all feel that way about each other. It's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to chase. I'm I'm, I'm not going to go outside what I need to do. I'm going to pass it to the next guy. When you have that confidence in a lineup like that, that's as deep as theirs is, um, It you know, it just works. And that's that's what's happening. I mean, one guy's coming up there, and if a guy didn't get the job done, the next guy's picking him up. And it's a different guy every night, and that's sort of what you want to see. But Wander Franco has been a constant. Austin Meadows has had a hell of a year, that guy. I mean, he's going to be the first guy since Longoria to have 100 RBIs. Yep. You know. Yeah, he's an RBI machine right now. I mean, look, the the Rays have 23 more runs than the next best team, the Astros, in baseball. I mean, who would have thought? I I know you said this was going to be the best Rays offense. Oh, I bailed on that within five days. And then you bailed, but then you've come back now, I did come back, yeah. Um, Right. But the the fact that they're leading, I mean, who would have predicted the Rays were going to be leading – Baseball and offense. I mean, even when you said they'd have the best offense in Tampa Bay history, you wouldn't have predicted that. No, no. In baseball? In yeah. all of baseball? Right. right. No way. No way. I mean, you see the salaries that some of these guys make uh, with the Yankees and the Astros. I mean, there's there's a lot of teams that I would have thought would have finished with more runs than the Rays. The Rays? 
The Rays are pitching in defense. And that's another thing, too. Like, you know, we'll see what happens with the bullpen and all of that when you get in the postseason. But it'll be a different feel. And they may have some games where somebody goes out there and just locks them up. But you know what? It hasn't happened yet. Well, right? but they get they've, those they've games faced... where someone locks them up. But if they can get to the bullpen, right. it that's changes everything. Yeah, that's the key. Like, um, how are you going to get them out in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning? That's where they've made all their all their hay. That's where they've scored the most runs of any team in the major leagues by far. You know, by a hundred and something runs after the seventh inning. So, you know, that's that's going to be it. Is that you know you're going to have to bury these guys now. It's not going to be like okay, you're up a run or two in the eighth inning or the seventh inning. This thing's over. You know, I mean, um, runs in the seventh or later. They are 37 runs better than the Dodgers, who are second. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. 37 runs more than the next best team in the seventh inning or later. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just mm. – it's its incredible what they do and how they they wear you out and they get to good bullpens. Yeah. Yeah, they get to all of yeah. them. In the eighth inning or later, they're 23 runs more than the Phillies, who are second. Uh, it's it's been a remarkable year. It's been fun to watch them. I hope that 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 they you know can continue and and they still need to get some guys back in that bullpen. Um, you know they, they're still battling a little bit of. Well, of I'd like to, I'd like to see Pete Fairbanks hasn't been himself since he's come back. No, uh, no. he's not throwing as many strikes in that. It's I, been I, control. I, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to get Nick Anderson back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, they still got some some spots to fill, and then you got to see you know. You know, on the playoff roster, are you going to have Yarborough? You're going to have Chris Archer. Is Michael Waka going to be there? I don't know. Josh no, Fleming. I, I mean, you're going to need an arm or two that can go multiple innings. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's the questions of if you're if you have three starters essentially of you know McClanahan, Patino, and Drew Rasmussen. Presumably, those yeah. are your three starters. Any other times, you're going to go bullpen. And Drew, you could yeah. st- you could put an opener in front of Drew if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, but you're gonna need you're gonna need a, some arms that can go three four innings at times. You're gonna need yeah. to have at least one or two on that roster. Yeah. So you know the question is: Is it Chris Archer? Is it Michael Waka? Um, you know, Archer looked really good uh, on Saturday. Although once he got I, to about I, forty forty five pitches, it it went south yeah. on him. I um, think Archer could start a game for you. I think he mm-hmm. could start and give you two innings. I really do. I think mm-hmm. you can get you can get once once through the lineup with him early mm-hmm. in the game um, if his slider's moving. Uh, he's, you know, I wouldn't want him to throw more than that because I think his velocity is down. But if you told him, Hey, we're going to, we're going to pitch you two innings and and he could go- goose it up to 93, 94 mm-hmm. with that, with that slider, I think you'd be, you take that, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You take that from Chris Archer and then, um, move on from there. So yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see if those guys kind of formulate a role here in this last you know, you know, Josh month. Fleming, you know, if you could mm-hmm. only pitch him at home. I mean, you can't have a yeah. different roster for road from home, but I mean, he's much better <laughs> right. at the trop than anywhere else. Yeah, you know, but and where does Michael Waka fit in, or does he? And and then you know Ryan Yarbrough, who struggled today. Yeah, you know, yeah, they, Yarbs- they've, they've got some interesting decisions to make once they get to the playoffs, and and you know, assuming they do, if they haven't made it yet, I think their magic number is like seventeen with twenty four to play. Right. So that's maybe it's sixteen something like that. Yankees have played a few less games, so. I think they've yeah, played. Yeah, they got some. Yeah, Boston's some played more than the Rays, but I think the Yankees have played a game or two less, so it's somewhere in there. But Austin Meadows called it the big of the biggest win of the year for sure. 
Um, considering the circumstances, getting in late. They got in late Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and Boston coming. could have overtaken New York for the top yeah, wild card right. spot with the win today because the Yankees had already lost. Right. You know, that's I mean, right. You know, Boy, Boston had a 7-1 lead thinking they're going to move into the first spot in the wild card. Yep. And they, they was, blew it. It was a big crowd, you know, Labor Day crowd in Boston. Everybody's off. They were having well, there was a, party, a lot of empty man. seats out there, particularly in the bleachers and stuff I saw. Were there? Yeah. I don't yeah. think it was a full sold-out house. But you don't you ever hear that reported, of course. No. We we do report the attendance at uh, the No, I, I just mean, but no one ever talks about it unless it's the Rays' <laughs> attendance. That's the only one we ever I talk know. about. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Eight and a half game lead, 24 games to play. 87 and 51. Just remarkable. Way to go, Ray. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, let's wrap it up. We'll talk about college football. College football. It was a big weekend, and we'll have Matt Baker on later this week. Matt wrote a really good story. I don't know if people appreciate how hard this is to do on deadline, particularly when you have an overtime game, which is something you never root for because you're just, frankly, you're just kind of trying to file a story as soon as the game ends. So you have to kind of predict the winner there. Uh, and I've had many times, as we all have had, you know, two or three game stories up on our screen at the same time and sort of working on all of them. But, uh, First of all, credit Florida State uh, for hanging in there. Uh, they could have easily gotten blown out in this game, and I thought they, they gave themselves a puncher's chance to, to come back, which is what they did. But you want drama. Uh, you know, the, the story of this game, it was not the attempted comeback that they fell short of when they missed the field goal in overtime. The comeback story happened, and it was Mackenzie Milton. Um, we all remember, or should remember, you know, was it been almost three years ago? Yep, when, right here, when Raymond he James hit, Stadium. Raymond James Stadium, that's right. Um, and had his leg, you know, just sort of ripped apart, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, dislocation of the knee, ligaments all torn, arterial damage. They were they were in leg saving mode, and then, you know, with that, you worry you worry about the life as well. Um, but this guy, you know, this doctors and Matt Baker wrote about this at the Mayo Clinic. We talked about it last week. They were just trying to save his leg. I mean, it was like if he could walk again one day without excruciating pain, that would be an enormous victory. And as far as trying to play football, much less at the at, at this level at Florida State um, Division One level, that was literally he thought a one in a million million chance that that would ever occur. And it didn't look like he was going to have to play in this game. You know, things were going pretty well. Um, and then before you know it, the starter loses his helmet. He's in the game, and then he's moving the team down the, down the field, and they score. Uh, and I couldn't keep, you know, the cameras were on her, on his family, and his mom in particular. And I could not stop watching her, watching him. And I, it, she, she kind of looked like she vacillated from sheer terror that he was going to get hurt to absolute, you know, pride 
that his dream of playing college football, that he had realized it again, and he had made it back onto the field. And not only that, was leading a comeback in a nationally televised game against a Notre Dame team that some think might make it back to the national championship uh, playoffs. So it had all the elements, and, and the tears just what would not stop flowing. And if you were not choked up watching that, uh, then you better check yourself because this was big-time drama, and it was fun, and, and he played great. And with a little bit more help and a, and a made field goal or so, uh, they win that game, and we've got our movie, you know. But uh, the comeback that occurred at Florida State uh, was Mackenzie Milton, and it was great theater. Uh, it was, you know, it was an emotional night to begin with because they, you know, they obviously had the tribute to Bobby Bowden. They played Amazing Grace at halftime. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of th- a lot of that going on, but the doke was lit. Have not seen the doke like that in many a year. Many a year. That was phenomenal. I mean, that's why we love sports. Mm-hmm. It's those type of stories, the the comebacks, the, you know, I, I mean, as you said, he went from we just hope we can save his leg to he's playing college yeah. football and performing at a, a, a tremendous level against number nine Notre Dame in the fourth quarter down 18. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what sport that's. Those are the those are the stories that you live for in sports, uh, you know. That's why and, I do it. It's it's too bad he couldn't win just to have you know to add the, on to that legacy in, in that sure. performance. But I mean, it doesn't overshadow it to me. But not at all. It would have been you know had they had Norvell not iced his kicker or um, I I actually would have gone for it after they moved that that up. I, I'm like I'm Florida State playing Notre Dame. I got fourth and yeah. Four. I'm pretty I'm sure Notre it. Dame's gonna pretty sure Notre Dame's gonna kick a field goal there. You know. Yeah, well, but I mean, I, I mean, instead of kicking that field goal, once they had the no, I know. pass and it was like fourth and four, I think I would have gone. For I know it. what you're saying. I think you're. Yeah. I what I'm saying is, when you lose the toss, you have to kind of project. Yep. What the other team might do, and field goal seems like a reasonable outcome. Like no matter what, if you, you know, if you don't score a touchdown here, mm-hmm. they're you're probably not going to hold them. Although their defense had 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 a mm-hmm. chance. I mean, you give them a puncher's chance that they would keep him out of the end zone so i understand why he kicked it they were frankly fortunate because on the play before the field goal attempt uh where he wound up icing his kicker um you know milton was was sacked it looked like a fumble they called it an incomplete pass tuck so actually gained, the tuck rule the tuck rule was in yeah that's right tom brady charles woodson they were all uh all in there so yeah they were able to get the ball closer and then unfortunately it was a bad kick uh, at least one that didn't go through, and, and they lost the game. But, yeah, that's not to overshadow anything that happened that night. And, you know, to that to that end, look, Mike Norvell, uh, not the outcome he wanted, but you can walk off that field and say, we got some things here we can build on. You know, we, uh, you know the quarterback, obviously, offensive line's got to play better. Um, they certainly had some explosives in the run game, in the pass game. Uh, their defense uh, at times played pretty well, although – and this this solidifies my opinion of Paul Christ, who's the head coach at Wisconsin, <laughs> who had Jack Cohn. Hey, Paul, did you see what your quarterback from Wisconsin just did in the opener at Florida State? He looked like an NFL quarterback. He threw four touchdown passes in about 323 yards or so. Uh, that's how it's supposed to look, you know, instead of your offense where you make all your quarterbacks look bad. But that aside. Well, I was going to say, look uh, at their offense on Saturday. Ugh. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, 1960s is called, and they don't want their offense back. It's unbelievable. And, and you know, the thing about Wisconsin is, because my wife, we have to watch the Badgers every time they play, but um, it's, uh, you know, well, we, 
we we have linemen and we run the ball. We have big offensive linemen. We're gonna run the ball, and they do. They do. They run the crap out of it. But you know what? You can't win that way. He's <laughs> just. I mean, your defense. Jim Leonard is one of the best defensive coordinators in all of football. I don't care what level you're talking about, NFL, college, or otherwise. He is tremendous. There has to be a personal reason why he wants to stay there because I know he's been offered better jobs than to be the D coordinator at Wisconsin. So he's got his own reasons. But if not for that guy, you'd be getting blown out every week because, you know, he, he, he keeps you in the game. That and, and, you know, and running the ball. I mean, I think, what was it? Uh, you know, they're playing Penn State who had 49 yards. 49 yards in the first half. Come mm-hmm. on. 49 yards in the first half and, and you don't, you're not winning the game? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And yeah, they had fumbles and they didn't, you know, uh, interceptions. But it, most of it is because he makes it so hard on his quarterback. Your quarterback is not going to pick up third and six all day. He's just not. You know, you're going to have to have some first down throws. You just do. You're going to have to, you know, join college football and spread some people out and and get some skilled guys. And that's the thing. Like, Wisconsin gets skilled guys that can really play. Hell, they have a running back in the NFL every year. But for whatever reason, um, you know, Chris is just his, – his offense is terrible. And I think I think Cohen proved that. I mean, what a debut for that guy, you know, to come out and light it up the way he did for Notre Dame. So, um, by the way, How- Chip Kelly – Whole, or not Chip Kelly. Uh, well, Chip, Chip, Chip Kelly. Kelly's Brian got Kelly. UCLA. No, Chip no, Kelly's Chip got Kelly's UCLA rolling, rolling yeah. too now. He's I mean, rolling, after five yeah, years of woof. Yeah, they're ro- they're good. They're mm-hmm. really good. Uh, but Brian Kelly, pick up your I misquoted John McKay. <laughs> he mis- Holy but, cow. But who didn't know he was joking about that? And there's people upset about it. I'm like, you could tell he was no, joking. I mean, he missed the quote. He a, messed up the it quote. Was such yes. a foo pa though. It's like I knew what he was talking about, but not everybody would have known. Like if you don't know the line yeah. that it's from John McKay, you'd be yeah. like, <gasps> he just called for his team's execution. Well, but Joe no, Tessitore said it right afterwards. I mean, he yeah, he, he explained it. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, there are people upset. I'm like, you could, who didn't know he wasn't joking? What was funny is he he tried to, and if you don't know the line, so one time John McKay during the days when they were 0-26, and and John McKay was the the quipper, right? Win one for the quipper. Uh, He had some of the best one-liners in in all of professional sports or college because he was quick-witted. And, and, you know, so he goes from USC where, you know, he's got O.J. Simpson and Heisman Trophy winners and, you know, winning, winning big, Pac-12s and all this every year, Pac-10, whatever it was back then. And he comes to the Bucks, and and the rules back then, they got no players. I mean, you know, it's not like today when they have an expansion team and you have to give up some some of your best. They gave them the absolute trash of the league. And so other than their draft picks like Leroy Selman and some others that, that uh, came along on defense and eventually Doug Williams, um, they were horrible. They were, started 0-26. So, you know, it was bad football, and he wasn't going to pretend that it wasn't. You know, that was the thing about McKay. So, you know, he always used to have these lines where he says, yeah, you know, I went into the locker room and I told the guys, those who need a shower, take one. You know, and he was always, like, self-deprecating as he could be. Um, and then the the famous line is that one day uh, somebody asked him about the uh, his team's execution. He said, I'm in favor of it. So that was the line. I'm in favor. They asked him about the execution of his team. He goes, I'm in favor of it. So it was funny. 
Um, but somehow Brian <laughs> Brian just botched well, it. Well, but he him. tried to say the quote instead of he wasn't asked it in the right context to give it. Right. He wasn't you know, asked I mean, it the same way. McKay so. was asked about the execution of his offense. He said, Yeah, I agree. Right. You know, a, we should. Was, I'm in favor of it. I'm in favor <laughs> yeah, of it. I'm in favor yeah, of it. That, he just quick just quick and just I'm in favor of it. Yeah. Our execution, I'm in favor of it. So he tried to ask his own question. Anyway, it stumbled. It was it was clumsy at, at best. And then he was like, oh, come on. You didn't think I was serious. No, we didn't think you were serious. We just thought you were stupid. Um, it was it was a terrible uh, a terrible moment for, for Kelly. But uh, with Notre Dame, you know, they got some things to fix on defense. They could have won that game by 20. I thought they were going to. Uh, but they're strong. They got, I mean, they got some great players. The tight end is great. Mm-hmm. Um, Cohen's going to help them. A fifth-year senior that's played a lot of football. Comes in there motivated, you know. Wake up the echoes. Got the gold helmet on. He's, he's fired up. He's going to be a good quarterback for them. You, you got experience at that position in college football. I'll take that any day um, over, you know, a freshman. Do we have a quarterback controversy in Gainesville? I don't know. I was not impressed. Were you impressed at all? I, it's hard. I to, it's th- hard to say against FAU. I mean. I mean, in in the minds of, of Monk uh, or uh, Dan Mullen, they are not they're not the least bit. There's like quarterback controversy. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like no man. <laughs> I know Emory Jones has been. You know, he was supposed to be the starter, and that's his guy. So I don't see it them changing anything. I don't either. Um, but I didn't play I, well. I, yeah, I mean, you know, now it's game one. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. You know, I also don't sit there and write off a season because a guy didn't play very well in game one either. Um, you know, I mean, these no. are, we, you know, these are 18 to 22 year old kids and they grow yeah. and learn and develop and, and year to year they get better, but even game to game in a season they do. So, um, you know, they'll have another opponent that they should roll through again this week with USF. Uh, who's, well, that's, that's going to be, you know, that'll be the test. I mean, there, there's, first of all, there's going to be, you know, 90% uh, Florida fan in, in uh, Raymond James. It'll be like a home game, but. He should shred them. Like he, he's got another opponent that, that they're just better, right? Mm-hmm. So, if he comes out and he and he stumbles around and and they don't play well, then I would be worried. But I, you know, that you don't have preseason games in college football. You have games like Florida against USF, um, and and there's a reason why you have those. But I think he'll get better. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of expectations, and like I said, he made some curious throws, bad decisions here or there, and. Had a couple of, you know, had some interceptions. So you got to iron that stuff out. It's game speed versus practice, you know. Um, they're able to adjust. They're able to throw things at you you haven't seen during a week on film and just give them a chance. But Dan Mullen's not, I mean, he's not the least bit worried about the kid. You know, he thinks he's going to be fine. And he probably, and, and I'll trust Dan Mullen to know that. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia. I think well, Georgia's you know, defense. First of all, how good was Bryce Ooh. Young? Oh, well, come on. It's phenomenal. He might be the best quarterback. We talk about Tua and guys like Hertz and all those guys have gone in the NFL. This guy is better. He already set records in his first game, you know. And that was against a nationally so, ranked team. And, and I don't think Miami's bad. I, I, you know, there's a lot of people writing off the ACC now because North Carolina lost to Virginia Tech. They all lost. Miami yeah. lost and Clemson. I mean, Clemson lost a game. They didn't give up a touchdown. Yeah, they're pretty I, good. I mean, you know. I'm not ready to write them off yet. And everyone, you know, oh, the ACC is already out of the playoff. Come on. Clemson runs the table nice. the rest of the way. They're in the playoff. The quarterback. Talk about a quarterback. He didn't play well. Yeah. He didn't play well at all. And I think you he's know? good and he's going to get better. But, yeah, he didn't play yeah. that great. I mean, 
credit Georgia's defense, too, because they're phenomenal. Both those defenses were phenomenal on Saturday night. Yeah, they Saturday were. afternoon, whatever it was. Saturday night, that game was. I mean, they were both phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that was that was an incredible game to watch. That was 10-3 with a defensive yeah, pick six was the only touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Georgia's defensive line is just crazy. Tremendous. Uh, how much size yeah. and speed and skill they have there. Um, you know, but and, and you know Miami. Okay, so they got beat by Alabama, and they got beat bad. But it's Alabama. I'm not ready to write off their season yet for that. I mean, we'll see how they bounce back and and do. But with the Eric King there and everything else, they'll be, I think Miami will be okay. I don't know if they'll be Clemson. Yeah, but in the ACC, they'll do fine. I mean, you know, it's not. I love the hot takes of you know we we've, we've written off teams because of one of one game. Right. You know, LSU is now you know oh they're awful. Well, let's see. They had to vacate for Hurricane Ida, and they went out to UCLA, who had already played a game, and 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 they didn't play very well in the Rose Bowl, and and maybe they won't be a very good team this year. But I'm not ready to sit there and say that, you know, they're going to be an awful team this year because they, uh, everything they had to go through this week leading up to that and going out to to Los Angeles, and they didn't play well in the Rose Bowl. Okay, I mean, yeah, you know, we'll see how they bounce back and how they do. I think UCLA is better than people give them credit for. Just because they, they hadn't been good for years, so yeah, I think Chip Kelly knows they're good. He got a quarterback now, and that matters. And mm-hmm. you know, um, you got to take it's it, it's a chance when you play or when you when you start the season against a really good opponent like Alabama, to say the least. Um, even Clemson and Georgia, I mean those those are mm-hmm. those are big time programs. You never know. It's game one. A lot of funny things can happen. You know, you guys have not. There's communication issues on the sideline. There's uh, there's you know. Um, you know, in real time, defense is throwing things at you you might not have seen on film. Um, coaches have to adjust. You know, there, there's a lot that goes on in the beginning of a season that you iron out as the year goes along because you can't simulate. You can practice all you want. It's the same thing with the NFL, and this is where I think that the Cowboys have made a mistake. And and I might be wrong as rain if we're talking about this on Friday. Uh, I could be. I'll say I'm. I'll say I'm wrong, but I don't know how you can put. Dak Prescott out there who has not played a down of football since he since his foot was pointed in the wrong direction with that horrific injury back last uh, week five of last year and you're going to put him out there uh, against that defense and he hasn't he has not played uh, and he's going to have to figure it out and try to be as great as he was last year before he got hurt it's going to take a remarkable performance for him for the Dallas Cowboys coming here and win this game, and I think it's I think it's going to be rough for him. I mean, now he's got tremendous weapons, right? Ceedee Lamb and Michael Gallup, and you know um, Amari Cooper and Ezekiel. He's got tons of people to help him around him, and he'll and he will lean on all of them, and and they'll make plays. I think I think they'll make plays, but it's just different, man. And and you know the Bucks played their starters that third preseason game, and they needed to. You know, they had communication issues the first series. They didn't look good. They can't start games that way. Then they got in rhythm, and you could see the precision, and they needed that. They needed game speed. They needed to to have those communication issues because when you get in a real season and you have them, now it's going to cost you a ball game. And, you know, we'll see how how the Cowboys handle all of that and the fact that Dak hasn't played. But I just think, like with these college kids, man, the speed is different. Like you got to go in there and play. You got to play a game. You got to iron that stuff out. You can only do it in game speed. 
Um, and it's tough because unless you're playing, you know, Florida A&M or Arkansas State or whatever your first week, um, if you're one of these, you know, Power 5 schools, you know, you're going against a pretty good opponent, you know, if it's an SEC school or an ACC school. So Dabo will get it figured out. They're not going to go anywhere. I think Clemson will be back on top. Ohio State with uh, my namesake, C.J. Stroud, is going to be good. Uh, very good. So I think we're, I think three of those four teams we see every year, certainly Alabama, they'll be back in the picture. And yeah, there's, we'll see there's no Notre, reason to Notre think that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State won't be there. I mean, you know, maybe Alabama doesn't if Georgia beats them. Maybe. Although, maybe. I, you know, I, I think Georgia's defense is phenomenal. I didn't think uh, their quarterback played. JT Daniels played very well. He didn't play very well, no. I mean, But you know. I trust that Todd Munkin will get that ironed out, you know, mm-hmm. um, they got a really good coordinator. We know him from the Bucks. Yeah, Daniels. Well, uh, Daniels was a little bit of a disappointment. I, I think they'll get it ironed out. But my question is, is he is he good enough to get you to a college I football playoff? I, I, don't I, know. I, I mean, I think they, the skill around him. I think that defense is by far. Yeah, but I just I don't know if he's on the level of. And they'll run the ball. You know, they'll Bryce Young and and you know those type of quarterbacks that. Yeah. You know, we'll see. I mean. You know, there's a yeah, lot. I don't know that they are that too, but and, and JT Daniels is very good. I just don't know if he's good enough for that. Right. Well, we'll see what Florida is. I mean, we're mm-hmm. still really, you know, they they may be able to, against that Georgia defense is really good, but I, mm-hmm. maybe they won't have to score many points. You know, maybe they'll be able to hold Georgia's defense down. It's going to be a good SEC uh, season. And Texas A and M, I'm anxious to see what they got. Yep. You know, because Jimbo's talking. I mean, he makes nine million a year now, so you know. It's time to put up. And and how cool, and I know ESPN and Fox and, and all the networks did a pretty cool job of how cool is it just to have fans back in the stands. Oh, it was awesome. And watch Although it jump little, around up in Wisconsin and enter uh, Sandman at Virginia tradition. Tech. And, yeah, it was great. You know, I'm a little those. nervous, though. I'm a little nervous. i got to be honest with you. There was part of me, uh, you know, uh, hopefully everybody's vaccinated. I hope. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine everyone is in that stadium, particularly with the age group that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but to see that many people together, at least in this state, with the numbers that we've got going on in the hospitals right now, it made me very nervous. I think I can understand. And, and I at understand. least it's outside that helps, hopefully. I but mean, it's outdoors, know, but... and and you have a choice, right? You you the the vaccines mm-hmm. are available if you want them, mm-hmm. and and if you get sick, hopefully you won't be as sick. If you've got the vaccine, uh, certainly uh, most people aren't being hospitalized um, that have it and 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 catch this variant or whatever. But I'm here to tell you, folks. I would be I would be uncomfortable if 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 I wasn't vaccinated and sitting in a stadium with that many people cheering that close together. Um, it's as if there is no 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 cause for pause at all, and we're going to see it Thursday night at Raymond James Stadium. And I'm kind of looking forward to the electricity, the the fans. It, it's it's especially in college football. It's about that pageantry, right? It's about mm-hmm. those traditions, like jump around and all that. That makes college football. I mean, it's just so exciting because of that. Um, and and I I hope we stay there and I and I hope we can get all this behind us because that's what was missing. It was weird weird enough with the NFL, but just not what college football was about without the fans. It's just it's just not the bands, the cheerleaders. It's all of that, you know. I'll take all of that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was tremendous. Great first week. So looking forward to week two already. But we'll have more to talk about, of course, with the Bucks as they prepare. We're going to have uh, Tom Brady bailed on us, by the way. He moved back his availability 
It was supposed to be on Monday. It'll now be today. Well, after he talked to you, he didn't need to talk to anybody else. Yeah, well, so. that's that's pretty much what my, my stance was. Look, I, I've already talked to the man. If you guys want to talk to him, that's fine. Um, no, but he'll uh, he'll be out there uh, later today, so I'll have a chance to catch up with him. Last practice, last availability that we have, this is like a – I guess this would be a Friday um, in the schedule. If it was a regular week, this would be their Friday practice. Only one player looks like it's not going to make it, and that's Jordan Whitehead. Still has that hamstring, which uh, they're fortunate they have some depth at safety. Mike Edwards will do a good job. What they're going to miss, though, and I would I would say going into it, um, Ezekiel Elliott is a really good running back, and they're going to try to run the ball to protect Dak, obviously. Uh, and Jordan Whitehead is that box safety that you love having that can come downhill and really enforce the run uh, like an extra linebacker. Edwards is not as physical. Um, you know, he's, he's more, he's got better ball skills. So you kind of, it's kind of a trade off, but he's played a lot of football and, and he'll do a good job. And of course we know Anton Winfield Jr. is good back there, but, and they got some depth, depth, you know, they got Russ uh, Cockrell also can play, had a great training camp. So they should be okay for this game, but I, I don't think it's insignificant that they're not going to have Jordan Whitehead, but it appears though that he's the only player. And if you look at the Dallas Cowboys, well, they're without Zach Martin. And that's a huge loss. He's on the COVID protocol. It's not completely ruled out, but he's got symptoms, so it's unlikely he'll pass two tests before Thursday. If the game was on Sunday, he would play perhaps, but probably not going to play Thursday night. And and he is right in the center of that offensive line at Dak's feet. And that's how you affect a quarterback is you get traffic around his feet, particularly a guy who's coming off you know the dislocated ankle and everything. Um, Vita Vea and you know, Dominican Sue, who returned, uh, yesterday is is going to be in a good shape because they'll be going against a, a much lesser interior offensive lineman with the Cowboys, and that's that's a tough loss. Uh, and I and I think you're going to see that throughout the league throughout the year. We're not we're not to Thursday yet, so I'm not you know we don't know that all the Buck players are going to make it. You know you could have a COVID test or two pop up, and then all of a sudden you're without some starters. Um, so it's it's hard to know week to week. Guys are even vaccinated. Um, you know, could could test positive, and if they don't have five days before the game, then they're out. So I think you're going to see a lot of guys, a lot of names around the league that won't be playing here and there. Um, but you know, certainly that's a big loss for the Cowboys. So we'll talk all about that as well as the Rays will continue their series against the Red Sox. Hope they get some rest because uh, it was quite a 24 hours for them getting in late and then having their five-hour baseball game. So keep it right here on Sports Day, Tampa Bay. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.